Uh, well, good morning, everybody. It's really, really good to be with you. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 16. We're going to shift gears hard here. So John chapter 16, we're going to dive uh, right into the text, and we're going to look at verses 5 to 15. And basically what's going on in these texts is Jesus sits down with his disciples. Remember, this is the night of his arrest, the night before he would be crucified. And he explains to his disciples, guys, I'm, I'm out of here soon. I'm, I am sliding out of here. And believe it or not, that's actually really good news for you. It's good news for you that I am going to leave because that means in my place, I will send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit being with you and within you is actually better than having me next to you. That's what he explains to them. They clearly do not believe him when he says it. And so he takes a few minutes to explain what's going on. That's what happens in this text. Let's look at the first three of our verses, John 16, 5, 6, and 7. Jesus says, but now I am going away to the one who sent me. And not one of you is asking where I am going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it's best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate, and by advocate, this will become very clear, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. Now, um, pause there for a second. Last couple of weeks, I've been saying an awful lot about how we need to take Jesus at his word, that we need to hear what he says, believe it, and apply it to our lives and give it authority to speak into our lives. And I find it somewhat heartening in this text to see that his disciples struggle to do it the way I often struggle to do it, even though Jesus was looking them dead in the eyes and saying, this is what you must do. It's difficult to get people to believe things that they do not already believe. Um, we are filled with uh, biases, and uh, there's several of them. It's an interesting thing to study if you want to jump on Wikipedia at some point. But one of the most common and one of the most powerful biases we have is confirmation bias. Confirmation bias basically goes like this. I'm inclined to believe the things that I already believe. And when I look, search the world over for information, I will subconsciously search for information that confirms what I already believe, what already sounds right to me based on my own worldview and my own current understanding because it's disruptive and upsetting to have a new set of beliefs introduced into your lives. And so subconsciously we protect against that. And so we have this confirmation bias that basically says we don't believe things unless they sound right to us. We don't believe things unless we're inclined to believe them. And so Jesus says to his disciples, I'm leaving and believe it or not, that's better for you because the Holy Spirit within you is better than me standing next to you. And their response essentially was, no, no, that, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't, that doesn't sound right. They didn't believe him because they weren't inclined to believe him because it sounded funny to their ears. Uh, we do this all the time. The disciples did this all the time. Um, for example, if you're a Sunday school rat, you'll know the stories. I mean, how many times does Jesus sit down his disciples and look them dead in the eyes and say, no guys, seriously, I'm going to be arrested and then they are going to crucify me. And three days later, I am going to be raised from the dead. This is literally actually going that eye contact. Let's go. Literally, this is going to happen. And then they go, huh, that sounds weird. And they wander off and somebody goes, hey, what was, what was Jesus just telling you about? And it's like, I, you know, parables. You know, he's so, he's so vague and abstract. You never really know what he means. Who knows what he meant by that? But I mean, he's the Messiah and the keeper of all truth. And we believe every word he says, but I, I have no idea what any of that was about because that didn't sound right to them. 
It didn't match their confirmation biases. They thought, that isn't, no, no, you dying, that doesn't fit. No, that doesn't fit at all. This is why Jesus, as often as he did, said something like this, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Because more often than not, people don't have ears to hear and they don't hear. And he goes, but if you do, if you're actually going to listen, then tune in, I'm gonna say something great. All right, let's look at a few more verses, eight, nine, and 10. And when he, and this is referring again to the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes, listen, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. So there's three realities that are going to be made clear to us by the power of the Holy Spirit alone. One, that we are sinful. Two, that on the other hand, God is entirely righteous. And so there's a big gap between the two. And therefore that creates the need for the third thing, which is uh, judgment coming. Verse nine, the world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Basically what he's saying here is the Holy Spirit is gonna have to work inside of you because because your biases are so deeply ingrained, because they're so deeply instantiated that you like really only the Holy Spirit can change your mind. Only the Holy Spirit can change the way you see things. Uh, I wonder if you uh, ever paid attention when you studied Greek mythology in school. Did anybody pay attention or find that? I paid a little bit of attention. I found it strange uh, that that was the type of gods they would choose. Did you notice just how petty and pathetic the gods were that they would choose? It's just a great big soap opera in the sky. And I thought, why would they, why do they want that from their gods? I don't understand. I still don't understand. So I had, I struggled to pay attention, but there were a couple that stuck with me. One of the stories, um, it was about uh, Cassandra or Cassandra, I don't know which, uh, Cassandra and Apollos. Now Cassandra had this incredible power where she could see and know the future. And she would share it with people and it would be really powerful. And then Apollos, here's, and this is, again, soap opera in the sky. Apollos was super hot for Cassandra. He was after her. Um, and she was not interested at all. Apollos was, was a more powerful God than she, and he wasn't used to being rejected. And when she resisted his advances, he did not take the loss with integrity. And he decided, because you rejected me, I'm going to put a curse on you. And the curse is this, Cassandra, you will continue to be able to see and know the future. But when you tell people the truth of what's coming, they will never believe you. And it ruined her. I told this story at a pastor's conference one time, by the way, in front of a big group of pastors. I told that story and I said, in other words, she was cursed to being a preacher. Got a big round of amens and cheers because people could really relate because preachers kind of feel this way a lot. I feel this way a lot. Like I can jump up and down. I can say all I want. I can work as hard as I possibly can. And the truth is I can't make you believe a thing. I can't. I can't overcome your biases no matter how convincing or how hard I work. I remember just last week I was up here jumping up and down saying, you might remember, I hope you remember. I was saying the rules are for our joy. The rules are for our joy. The rules are for our joy. I don't remember which service, but in one of the services I said, I wish I could make you believe it. The rules are for our joy. And even as I said it, I thought to myself, I can't, of course I can't make you believe it. I can't make you believe anything. I can't. I can jump up and down and say the rules are for our joy until I'm blue in the face and it won't make a bit of difference unless the Holy Spirit whispers in your heart and goes, hey, hey, the rules, I've actually given you those for your joy. And you'll go, they're gifts. The rules are gifts. 
I thought it was God keeping me under his oppressive thumb, but it's not. They're gifts. The rules are for our joy. Why didn't Pastor Aaron ever tell me this? The rules are for our joy because it requires the Holy Spirit to step in and tell us because of our inherent biases, because it doesn't sound right. That's not the way we tend to think about rules. And the ultimate bias that we have, and this is self-protection, it's very human. The ultimate bias is the way that we view and understand ourselves. The last thing our hearts and minds will ever want to accept is our own sinfulness, our own fragility, our own brokenness, our own wretchedness before God, our own depravity, our own desperate, helpless, hopeless need for a savior. It's the last thing our minds, what, what could create more of a crisis in the moment? And so our minds will war against that idea in spite of a tremendous amount of evidence that says, no, you are a broken, sinful mess. And so we have, because of that, we will fight against that truth. And we have out of that an almost infinite capacity to justify ourselves, to deny our own brokenness. And we will jump through incredible hoops and go to incredible lengths in order to convince ourselves of our own relative decency, of our own general goodness. And we will often do it in the most obvious and embarrassing and ridiculous ways. We will say things like, I'm not a gossip. I just warn people. No, no, I'm not threatening. I'm just, I'm intense. I'm not an alcoholic. I'm just, I'm the life of the party. I'm not a racist. You just, you can't trust those people. That's all. I'm not arrogant. I'm confident. I'm not stingy. I'm a saver. I don't objectify women. I just really appreciate the human form or whatever nonsense we spout out, whatever, but on and on and on and go, because we're in denial, we're in denial, and we have a limitless capacity to cling to that denial, and we cannot change that, but the Holy Spirit can, and he does. The Holy Spirit alone, I can say it all day long, but the Holy Spirit can whisper into your heart and go, "Uh uh-uh, and it has an impact I never could. We need to take Jesus at his word, and I want to speak to the church in general, church, capital C. We need to believe that the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin. And I'm not so sure that the church in general believes that the world will, con- that the Holy Spirit will convict the world of its sin because the church has been running around for 2000 years, blowing its whistle and wagging its finger and calling fouls, trying to do the work of the Holy Spirit to convict the world of its sin. And we've made a horrible mess in the process. And maybe we should take him at his word. Maybe we should believe what he says, which is actually the Holy Spirit's going to do that. And you remember from last chapter, we're supposed to remain in him and love each other, remain in him and love each other, remain in him and love each other. I'll convict the world of its sin. That was a soapbox. All right, 12 to 15, a few more verses. Jesus speaking, there's so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. What an incredible statement that is. He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. And so Jesus has made the point, it's actually better for you if the Holy Spirit comes and if I leave, you actually win in that scenario. And they're thinking, nah, that doesn't sound right. And so now he takes the time to explain why it's actually better. The Holy Spirit is like having me here, he says, but better. He will be within you. 
He will teach you every, everything you need to know. He will lead you into all truth. He will be at work within the hearts and minds and spirits of the people that you love and that you care for and that you're reaching out to. He will show you the future. And all of it, he says, is going to be an extension of me. Me working within people. Me working within you. Me not limited by space in any way. I will be everywhere through the Holy Spirit throughout the world. This is better. You need me to leave. And they thought, no, that doesn't sound right. No, there's no way that sort of this general inner thing is going to somehow be better than you in the flesh who I can walk with and ask questions of. That doesn't sound right. We do this a lot. Um, you know, as, a, as a pastor, obviously I talk to people about their faith a lot and um, it's not uncommon for somebody to say, you know, I'm, I find this all compelling I really do, and I want to believe all this stuff. I really do, but this is a very old book, and there's a lot of supernatural stuff in there, and I consider myself a rationalist, and at the very heart of the whole thing is a dead man rising from the grave, and there's lots of miracles, and man, I don't know if I can get my head around all of that stuff. And here's what I hear somewhat regularly is, you know, if I could have just been there myself, if I could have seen it with my own eyes, if I was there when he walked out of the tomb and I saw it for myself, then I could really believe, then I could sign on with everything I've got, then I wouldn't flinch and I wouldn't doubt, and then I have to find a loving way to say, no, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Because seeing is not believing. Seeing is, well, that doesn't sound right. No, 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 no. Seeing is not Believing. Number of times I've heard people say, if I could just see one miracle, like an honest to goodness, can't explain it any other way, miracle, then I would never doubt again. Yes, you would. You know how I know you would? Because I've seen a few. Honest to goodness, no other way to explain it, but by the hand of God, miracles. I've experienced it in my own body. And guess what? I am not now exempt from doubt. Not even close. Because seeing is not Believing. This reminds me of a parable I heard. I heard. I wish I'd have heard. Um, this terrible, the parable, terrible. Mm, this is why live church is so much fun because you never know what's going to come out of my mouth. Let me start that one all over. Um, this reminds me of a parable uh, that Jesus shared about a man who lived a wicked life. And after death, he went to a place of torment. And he cried out from that place of torment and said, will you let me out for just a moment? I want to go warn my brothers so that they don't come here. And the answer was no. And the reason given was this, because even if they saw someone risen from the grave, they still wouldn't believe. Because seeing is not believing. The guy who actually said that first, Thomas Fuller, he was a pastor. Uh, in Great Britain, 1600s. It's only half a quote. Quotes tend to get popular only in halves. I don't know if you've noticed that. This is what he said. Seeing is believing, but feeling is the truth. What I think he was driving at is that there's actually an internal work that has to happen. You can confirm something with your eyes, but something within has to happen. He's talking, I believe, about the work of the Holy Spirit. 
Once again, the best example I can think of is the disciples. Let me tell you about three words that are in Matthew chapter 28, and I just can't believe that they're there. It's just it's so shocking to find these three words. Matthew 28 is the last chapter in the book of Matthew. So this is after everything has gone down. And Jesus is on a hillside. It says explicitly he's there with 11, his 11 disciples. Judas is gone. So he's there with the 11. And these men have seen everything in Jesus's ministry. For years, they have walked with Jesus and they have seen the dead raised and the blind see and the lame walk. They saw him turn a lunchable into feeding thousands of people. They saw him do that again. They saw him calm the storms. They saw him do that again. They saw him walking on the water. They'd seen unbelievable things over and over and over and over again. They saw him crucified. And then they saw the resurrected Christ walk through a wall, give them a hug, eat a meal with them, disappear over and over again. They had seen more than anyone has ever seen. In fact, later in this book, John's gonna say, man, if I wrote all this stuff down, the world couldn't hold all the books of what we have seen. And on that mountainside, those 11 men with Jesus, then they watched him float into the sky and ascend into the clouds. Jesus gives one more teaching and then he, off he goes into the very heavens before their very eyes. And these three words are written in the text, but some doubted. What? He just floated into the sky. And some of them are going, I don't know. I don't know. If I could have seen a little bit more, maybe he pulled that off with some new tech or something that I don't know about. I don't, I don't know. And another one's over there going, yeah, yeah. You know, now that you mention it, maybe everything we experienced for the last three plus years was actually group psychosis. And it's all just been a prolonged hallucination. Somebody else is like, yeah, maybe it was like a blip like in the Avengers or something. And they're just finding a way, in spite of all that they had seen, finding a way, they stare into the skies. He just floated into heavens, but some doubted. If you're a church kid, you gotta know that this is true. And I want you to just think about what you know. The disciples, the whole time, when they were walking side by side with Jesus, when they saw the miracles with their own eyes, when they asked him whatever questions came to their mind, the whole time, even after the resurrection, the disciples were totally confused. They were constantly questioning everything. They missed the obvious all the time. Their biases ruled their lives. But in Acts chapter two, in an upper room, the Holy Spirit came as a mighty rushing wind. Tongues of fire settled upon each of them. And from that moment forward, their faith erupted. They were made bold. They were in be obedient. They were empowered. They were certain. The Bible says, Acts chapter 16, they turned the world upside down. It was clearly, obviously, better for them that way. I wonder if after the whole upper room scenario, after which Peter stood up and preached his first ever sermon and thousands of people came to faith in that moment, I wonder if they looked at each other and said, I'll be darned, this is better. This is better. Now here's the thing. 
if it's better for them, it's better for you. No, that, don't, that doesn't sound right. No, no, no. If it's better for them, it's better for you. And here's really what is being said to us now. And, and he who has ears to hear, let him hear. What's really being said, Dave, you can come on up, man. What's really being said, Jesus is saying, look, if you could hop into a time machine and you could go back and see it all happen, like you're there every second, you're with the disciples. For three plus years, you'd never leave Jesus' side. You're there in the garden. You're there at the Mount of Transfiguration. You're there when the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove and the voice emerged from heaven. You're there when the blind eyes were open and the lame walked and the dead were raised. You're there when the resurrection happened. You're there when he floated up into the sky. If you could have been there for all of that, here's what he's saying. That would be less transforming for you than if you receive the Holy Spirit. Can I, can I be honest with you? I just preached a sermon. Right now, this second, when I hear that, my mind goes, uh, that doesn't sound right. That, that doesn't sound right. But here's the thing. If you had been there, you would have been there when he looked them in the eyes and said, it's better for you if I go away because having the Holy Spirit inside you and working within you and working in the lives of the people you love and care about is better than having me right next to you. And I know our minds push against that. I know that doesn't sound right. For a couple of reasons. One is because the way I, I think we tend to think about the Holy Spirit. I think we tend to think about the Holy Spirit as like this super software that runs in the background that just takes care of all sorts of stuff for us. Kind of like with our own bodies. Like right now, my conscious mind is just working really hard to try to put out intelligible sentences. But what my mind is also doing is regulating all sorts of functions throughout my body and I'm completely unaware. I'm not making my heart beat. I'm not making my lungs expand with air and oxygenate my blood and sell my toes. I mean, there's all these functions happening that I just, it's like the super software running in the background. And I think we tend to think of the Holy Spirit in that way. I would like to push really hard against that idea, especially if you're Bible people. I would encourage you, if you haven't already, to carefully read the book of Acts and then ask yourself if what you see on display with the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of his people, is that more consistent with software running in the background or does it look more like a dynamic, ongoing, empowering relationship where the Holy Spirit moves through his people, empowers his people through signs and wonders, through boldness by speaking to them and prophesying and giving them words and coming in power. You'll have biases that will push you toward the software, but the clear reading of scripture will push you toward the latter, I promise. And this other thing about the Holy Spirit is, this is a safe, safe place, um, it kind of freaks us out. 
mean, what is it really? And you can't really see it. And it's, it's in and around. And in their infinite wisdom, the KJV folks decided to call it a ghost. So there's that. I get that there's mystery and with the mystery, a measure of fear. I'd love to take that away, but I know that I can't. But I would encourage you to consider this question. If I believe the words of Jesus at all, why would I fear the work of the Holy Spirit in my life? If you measure that against the teaching of scripture, I'll find, I think you'll find that to be the most irrational thought imaginable, that you would fear your greatest asset, your ultimate security and strength. It's like a starving man being afraid of food. It's like an impoverished person afraid of money. I wish I could take that away. Truth is, I can't even take that away in myself. But it's only the Holy Spirit that can override our biases and get us to believe something that doesn't sound right. So that's what I want to do during Selah. Let's be still for a moment. Let's invite the Holy Spirit and ask him to speak to us, to challenge our biases, to point out the irrationality of being afraid of our ultimate asset in life, <laughs> to wipe away our preconceived ideas about what the Holy Spirit is and does and allow the narrative of scripture to shape that for us and only scripture to shape that for us. Okay, we're going to have Selah a couple minutes to do that. I'll just get us started and then we'll be still for a moment together. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come as you wish. Speak to us as only you can. Override, Lord, our default settings. Holy Spirit, you are this phenomenal gift, infinite gift. Lord, we confess that for some reason we found that scary. It's not rational, but we have. Lord, you talk to us about grieving the Holy Spirit, about quenching the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure exactly what either of those things mean. I feel really confident that at times I've done both. So God, would you forgive? Would you help us to see what we don't see? To believe what we might not believe? And accept the freedom, the power, the beauty of the clearly better thing. Speak to us now.